The noise level goes down. Stan comes up. This is Andy's stand. And somebody put <laughs> between Andy's and Stan, Andy's last stand. <laughs> I don't know if that's ind- indicative of anything or not. I hope not. Well, good morning. My name's Don. Don't know all of you, but I hope by the end of this time you'll know me a little bit better and know something about the elders. That's what we're going to speak about this morning. Uh, so if you're a visitor here this morning, uh, this is not the normal fair. We have actual pastors <laughs> who get up and teach the Word of God to lead us toward Christ-likeness. And to help us understand what it is to be children of God in the family of God. So I don't pretend to preach this morning. Everybody says, oh, you're preaching. No, I'm not preaching this morning. I'm going to teach. It will be more informational than it will be confrontational. Well, I hope it will be. Uh, But I need to stick to my notes. So if I'm looking down a little bit, forgive me. I've got 35 minutes to say what... Some guy wrote a book about. But if I don't get done in 37 minutes, there's a big hook. (laughs) It comes right out of that stage and whoop, I'm gone. So uh, I I will try to keep to my 35 minutes. So uh, what I'm not going to say this morning, you may not want to take notes. Uh, I will be using a lot of scripture. If you try to get to all the scripture I'm going to allude to or speak, You'll be flipping your Bible instead of listening. So it may not be necessary to take notes, but this is what I'd ask of you. I'm going to bring up a lot more questions than I answer. So, have your paper and pencil ready, and when a question pops into your head, write the question down. And then on the 4th of August, bring all your questions back to this building where the elders will be having something we are calling profoundly meeting with the elders or something, some great title like that. Bring those questions because then all the elders will be here and the guys who can answer your questions, they'll be here. I'll be here. I'm not sure I can answer all your questions. But anyway, write them down because we want to communicate in that way. So... I got a little chicken pot pie on this page. I was rehearsing with Johnny last night at the dinner table and it kind of slopped over a little chicken. Oh well. I can still read it, it's okay. So, what we're going to talk about this morning is church leadership. I hope it will be clear, I hope it will be plain, I hope it will be uh, educational for you. The local church, just like any family, requires godly leadership to prepare us for works of service so that we'll all reach unity and we'll grow in the knowledge of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of Christ. That's what it's all about for us this morning. I'm going to try to answer four questions. First question is, what is the leadership structure at Northwest Hills? The second question is, so how do we appoint Qualified spiritual leaders. Third, 
what is the role of elders? And fourth is, what is the responsibility of the elders? Now, to think that I could do that in 35 minutes uh, is pretty tough, but I'm, I'm going to give it my best shot. The first thing is, what is the leadership structure that we have chosen at Northwest Hills? There are many structures. There are many ways people in churches perform this function. That is, the function that needs to be done is not in question. If we read the Bible carefully, or even if we read it pretty uncarefully, leadership is necessary. The form is what we're talking about. So what is the structure at Northwest Hills? Northwest Hills, if you remember your membership class, Northwest Hills is elder-led. That's the structure we have chosen. And the elder, it's a plurality of elders that meet together to manage the church. Uh, Each elder on the elder board shares the equally the position, authority, and responsibility of the office. So it's not one of us lording over the others. We're all equal in what we do. Also, it's great to have that team because one elder's strength will complement my weakness. So when I'm pretty harsh, I never am, but Sometimes I can be pretty direct, let's put it that way. So when I'm direct with somebody or I'm getting up on my high horse, a brother who's a little more gentle than I can say, calm down, you know, take, take a break, cool it. On the other hand, when it comes to something that's a hard decision or it's confrontational, we can talk, talk, talk. Sometimes it takes some directness to say, hey, guys, Come on, let's let's go on. So maybe that's a strength, hopefully, that some of us have to move us forward as an elder. So another thing we do, as an elder team, we share the load of leadership. One person cannot lead a church this size. So God puts men together with differing gifts in order to lead the church. That's what it's all about. Just as there are different parts of the body, here in the family, so there are different parts in the elder bo- on the elder board. And again, we use those gifts and that giftedness and that skill set in order to lead the church. Find it probably the most important reason why there is a plurality of elders in this church is that we hold one another accountable. This is pr- this is primary uh, to be holding one another accountable. Each elder is responsible for holding every other elder accountable in his walk with God. If, uh, if somebody, if one of the elders see me uh, getting off base, they are to get me back in, in line. Uh, every, I've given every elder permission to ask me any question about my life that they want to know. How am I doing spiritually? Am I beating my wife? Those kinds of things, they... No, I don't beat my wife. Come on. <laughs> How do I conduct my business downtown? Am I, am I reckless with my words? Do I lord it over people? Those kinds of things, I, I, they hold me accountable. And if I go astray, it's their fault, not mine. No, that's not, that's not so. So... The elders 
select a senior pastor, and the senior pastor is part of the elder board. That's not an unusual thing. Uh, a lot of church do it that way. Pastor Elder, Pastor Elder. Pastor Andy is our head elder, and he uh, is the one who we hold responsible for the day-to-day operations of the church. He is the one all staff members report to him. He hires them, he terminates them, he evaluates them. So he uh, is, is the one who normally we look to for spiritual guidance, even as elders. So that, uh, that is Pastor Andy's uh, job. Did I ask you to put that? Oh, there they are. So there we are. There are your elders. Don Gannon is uh, the, uh, what do we call him, chairman of the board, chairman of the board, and uh, Donnie Carpenter, Pastor Andy, of course, myself, <coughs> excuse me, Chris Sword, and <laughs> Daniel Morse. These are your elders, and as I said, uh, Pastor Andy uh, is an elder, but we also look to him often for spiritual guidance on the board. I mean, he's been in this business a long time. So we look to him uh, in, that, in those areas. We look to him as far as how do we run the church and the management of the church. So Don Gannon is uh, actually our, our chairman of the board, and he keeps things running. But he is a leader among equals. So that's how we do that. And how do we make decisions on the elder board? We do that by consensus. So we uh, come up with a decision. We talk that over. Somebody makes a proposal, and then we talk about that proposal until we all make a decision before God that this is the way we ought to go. If one person on the elder board says, uh, my conscience is not in this. I hear what you're saying, but I'm, you know, the Spirit's not leading me that way right now. Then we wait. So when we take two or three weeks or two or three months to make a decision, you're, I know you're saying elders lead us. Well, sometimes it's not as simple as to walk out and say, here's what we're going to do, because we may be wrestling with that until there is consensus. We don't announce decisions until there is. So uh, that's just the way we make decisions. So after Pastor Andy, we have the equipping staff. So every pastor, uh, every ministry director, every group leader, every assistant, they are the equipping staff. And they report directly or indirectly to Pastor Andy, who's responsible uh, for that for those, uh, for that equipping staff. So that's kind of how we work. We're an elder-based church. We have a senior pastor who also sits on the elder board, and we have uh, men and women who are on the equipping staff that help us do the work of the ministry. So next thing we need to ask then that brings about the question: So how do we appoint qualified spiritual leaders at Northwest Hills? So the elder team, got to get this straight, the elder team is responsible for appointing and selecting elders. And then there's a big but. We do that in coordination with you, the family. 
and we're going to tell you how we kind of walk through that whole process in just a moment. But so the first thing that we consider or look at is desire. If a man has a desire to be an elder, we want him to move in to that position. Or if he's not quite ready, we want to mentor him so he can meet his goal of leading the church. 1 Timothy 3.1 says, Paul says, If any man sets his heart on being an elder, he desires a noble task. So the starting point is for the man to have a desire to do that. And it's pretty easy to spot those guys that have the desire. Because if you look around, their desire has been put into action. They're leading somewhere. They're doing something. Uh, they uh, are shepherds in their small community group. They are helping to raise uh, school supplies. They are doing all these things that it's easy to spot those who are shepherding. Because elders are elders before they're ever appointed as an elder. That's the way it ought to be. So we can spot those guys that have the desire. And then there are qualifications. That's a subjective qualification, isn't it? A desire. The second uh, subjective qualification would be that the man is a, is a, a man after God's heart. He's got to meet certain qualifications that are laid out for us. I'm going to speak about in a minute. But first and foremost, after desire is the foundational quality is that he not only desires, but he must be a man of the Great Commission. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the kind of men we're looking for. Love for God and for one another forms a foundational ideas of what it means to follow Jesus Christ, to be more Christ-like. So once a man sets his heart on being an elder, what happens? If he has a love for God and a love for family, for this family, and he meets the objective qualifications that we find in 1 Timothy 3 and, 1, and Titus 1, then we start considering him for eldership. Now, most of the qualities that are listed in those two lists, most of those speak to the spirituality and the moral character and qualities of that person. The very first one in both of those lists is the man is to be above reproach. So what does that mean, above reproach? If an accusation or a charge is brought against that person, if he's above reproach, that charge or accusation won't stand. So that's what it would mean to be above reproach. Jesus Christ was above reproach when they took him before the Sanhedrin. Even the false witnesses couldn't get their act together enough to accuse Jesus Christ or to charge him with anything. When Paul was before Festus, you remember? They couldn't accuse him, or they could accuse him, but the charges and the accusations would not hold water 
because he was above reproach. So, as well as being above reproach, then an elder must have a good reputation with those outside the church. So, Timothy, in Timothy, the, the last thing that Paul says in Timothy is this. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders. So, to have a good reputation of outsiders is really important because if we don't have that reputation with outsiders, that maligns the church. That brings discredit to the purity of the church. And so, the witness of Jesus Christ is going to be lacking, at least in that person. So, we need... So these are bookends for the elders or for those who want to move into leadership. Be above reproach, have a good reputation outside the body. And all the other character qualities and qualifications that are on those lists, they kind of fit under those two bookends. So they are what we look at. And I, you know, I just don't have time to go through all of all of those qualifications, although that would be a great subject for another time. Uh, but I, I encourage you to look at those qualifications to get an understanding of what First Timothy and Titus says about the qualifications for being an elder or a leader in a church. Because although it is written to elders and leaders, it is written to all the members of the family. So we all ought to be working at that, those qualities and characters. So I would encourage you to, to look and study these qualities and these characters. But let me say, since I can't do it all, let me just say this. These qualities, character qualities, they stress the elders' loyalty, integrity, self-control, and spiritual maturity. So those qualities wrapped up in that package really uh, describe what and who an elder ought to be. So once we find that man, once those qualities are in place, how do we go about selecting elders and ministry leaders at Northwest Hills? It's, it's, even on paper, it's kind of long and drawn out, but I think it's important that you as the members and the family of Jesus Christ at Northwest Hills understand what the process is. So here's, here it goes. At Northwest Hills, elders appoint elders. So when it comes time, and it's time right now, it's always time, when it comes time, we sit down and we start looking at men who have stepped forward in leadership. We start discussing it. We look at records. We talk with other people. Once we have narrowed the list down to one or two or maybe even one, we go to that person and ask them if they have a desire to be an elder. Remember? First subjective idea is man has to have a desire. So we ask him, do you have a desire to be an elder? Once we find that out, we uh, start working with that person. So once we say, would you like to be an elder? He says yes. 
we start, an elder will start meeting with that prospective candidate. We'll meet with him. We'll ask him questions. We'll help him in evaluating himself according to Timothy and Titus. We will work through that. We'll also talk to other pastors in the church. We will talk to, if he's a small group leader or a ministry leader, we will go and talk to the people that are in his group say, so what do you think? Is this person ready? Or can we help him get ready? So we get all that feedback and all that ideas. And then, after we've done that, once we've made that selection, then we approach, as I said, we approach that person and we go through this process. Sometimes that's a two- or three-month process altogether. And during that time, as we meet with these people, we will be getting all these evaluations and ideas. When all that, when we get all that information gathered together, and we've assessed the, all the input that we get, we formally will invite that person, <coughs> if he's qualified, we'll formally invite that person to come on the elder board. That's the first step. If he does so, then we will ask you, the body of Christ, our family, to confirm that elder. Now, that is a very important step in, in, in selecting your elders. We need your input. I mean, we rejoice when we get positive input. That's wonderful. But we also uh, take your advisement when there's a spiritual uh, disqualification. We take that very seriously. And we, we work on those. And we, we talk to them. During the month, there will be time set aside for the church members to meet with the appointed elder, to encourage him or to ask questions. So, about where he stands, what's his giftedness, what ministry interests does he have, what's his moral integrity like. So, let me make that part clear. It's not a vote. It's not a vote. It's your opportunity to meet with the people that the standing elders have said, this man we feel is qualified. So at that point, if we, we encourage you to meet with that person, fill out those polls, and to get them back to us. If objections, if there are objections or accusations, then the elders will determine whether the actual accusation is scripturally based. So if we had four people who came to us and said, these men are not old enough, that would not necessarily be a disqualification according to Scripture. We would talk about that. We would ask them to talk to that person about that so that they could measure his maturity not by his chronological years, but by his biblical years. So... And at that point, uh, that, that's what we, that's what, they told me not to do that. 
or hit my chest. Anyway, uh, so at last, the final decision, if a person has been disqualified or qualified either way, it's up to the elders to make the final decision and to announce that decision to the members. So, then what happens? Once that person is, is approved, we will actually commission him or install him or in some way recognize him before you, the body of Christ. We do that often by bringing a, a new elder up here and laying our hands on him and praying for him, asking you as the family to pray for him, that God would be blessing him. So this says to that elder, you are now a part of the leadership of Northwest Hills. You are now an elder on the elder board. You are now responsible for every person in the body of Christ at Northwest Hills. That's what we're saying when we install somebody up here. And what we are saying to you is, family, here's your shepherd. Here's one who wants to love you and to care for you and to lead you. So it just sets it up for that person to lead. So that's how the selection process goes. And what is the role of the elders? Well, we have, we have kind of adopted uh, uh, two models, if you will, of the role. And one role is to manage, the other is to shepherd. So when I say manage, what do you managers think about that? What do you think? We push a button and we process something and it comes out the other end. That's what it looks like and we've managed it. Or if things are not going right, we manage it. This is not the managing that we're thinking about. The managing we're thinking about is how a father manages his family. God put families together for a reason. And the father is to be the leader of that family. He's to lead them in Christ-likeness. He's to take care of their needs. He is to model for them the way things ought to be. So that he provides the Christ-like overall direction for the family unit. Let me read what Stan gets in his book, Elders and Leaders, has to say about this. If the household model demonstrates that a father is ultimately responsible under God for everything that happens in his family, then what function in the church, what functions in the church are beyond the purview of the elders? In other words, in what areas are these men not responsible and accountable for what happens in the family? Ooh. The answer, of course, is basically the same as the one that would be given to a father of a biological family. There are no exemptions for elders. According to the scriptures, we are ultimately responsible under God for everything 
that needs to be done in the church. We take that responsibility uh, not with a grain of salt, but as what we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do as elders. As a plurality of fathers. And in shepherding, what is this shepherding thing? We read in 1 Peter 5, 2, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. So we don't have, culturally, we don't have much knowledge of shepherds. We don't see shepherds very often in Corvallis, Oregon. So we could ask the question, and we could probably answer it pretty easily, what do shepherds do? Well, shepherds lead, shepherds feed, shepherds care, shepherds protect. They are responsible for the sheep. That's their responsibility. You know, if you go to Israel, even today, or or to Mongolia, or to anywhere in the Far East, pretty much, you see the shepherd getting his sheep, and where is he? He's behind him, driving him with a whip. Pow! No. He's out in front, and he calls his sheep. Still. He calls them and takes off, and they know the shepherd, and they follow him, because they know sheep are pretty dumb. But they know... Not you. You're not dumb. And if anybody's a shepherd, I'm sorry. I kind of think sheep are dumb. But they follow the shepherd because they know they will be protected. They will be fed. They will be taken care of. They'll be led to pasture. They'll be given water. So the shepherd, again, in the same sense, elders, multiple elders, us, we're ultimately responsible for leading the body toward maturity, to see that they are protected against false teachers and teaching, to feed them the word of God in truth and grace, to care for them when they're sick or injured. And if a sheep should wander off and get caught up in the thicket, the shepherd is to go and rescue them. That one sheep is valuable. We don't want that sheep, any sheep, as Hebrews says, to slip away. So that is a big responsibility. Excuse me. Wow. So, how do we do this shepherding? What are our priorities? Well, we have, we kind of set our responsibilities in order to manage and shepherd. We set six. (laughs) We set six. No, we set six priorities for ourselves for the church. The first is teaching the Word of God. That's high on our list, is teaching the Word of God. There is no growth unless there is teaching of the Word. We are to drink spiritual milk and grow. That's what we're told in the Scripture from First Peter. So we're responsible for teaching the Word of God or seeing to it that it is taught. So in our church, normally, there's a pastor up here preaching. And he opens the Word of God for us to lead us toward Christ-likeness. 
to uh, help us to understand what it is to be a member of the family of God. So we are responsible for that. Normally, the elders in our church, we're, as elders, we're teaching in smaller venues. We're teaching smaller groups or in small groups. Probably the most important way we teach at Northwest Hills and possibly uh, the greatest way, and for me a fun way, is to teach one-on-one to somebody who aspires to be an elder. But I can walk with that person for three months, four months, a year until that person is ready. That's a joy. Not so joyful as sometimes one-on-one with people who have day-to-day problems that they don't know how to solve and they come to us and ask us for that. That's a little harder sometimes, but it's still a time of teaching. And that's what we do as elders. So the second thing is modeling Christ-like behavior. So, as I'm speaking to you today and I'm talking about all these characteristics, if I don't, leave, if I don't live them out, what have I accomplished? So we not only are to teach the Word of God, we are to live the Word of God openly and before you and before the community at, at, in Corvallis, Oregon. That's, whole, that's a part of it. 1 Timothy 4.16 states, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save yourselves and your hearers. Watch your life. In other words, move towards maturity in Christ. Be Christ-like before the world. And then he says, and watch your Doctrine. So the third priority is to keep the doctrine of the church pure. To make sure there are no false teachers slipping in and teaching us. That we're not teaching false doctrine. That sounds a little far-fetched today, doesn't it? That we'd have false teachers or false doctrine. It can be so subtle that we don't catch it if we're not very, very careful. I don't know an example in this church, praise God. But one person teaching a false doctrine to five people in this church could permeate the whole church very quickly. And we would be at tension. We would be arguing about this and that as people are trying to bring forth what they think. So it's very important that we maintain doctrinal purity. And the fourth thing is we are to discipline those who wander or who got caught up in a thicket. Now this by far is this by far is the most difficult thing that we do as elders. It's not fun. And it's very difficult to confront a brother or sister who is slipping away who's leaving the flock, who's getting tied up in a thicket of sin or things that are bring discredit to the church and to God. And it's our responsibility. It's very important that we go to that person, not to hammer them, not to tell them how bad they are, but to win them back to the family, 
to win them and bring them back into the family, to get them out of that thicket. That's so important. Not only important for that person, it's important for the purity of the church and for the witness of Jesus Christ. And it's important for you to understand that when this happens, we take sin seriously. And we will work to bring a person who's gone astray or who's floundering a little bit, we will work to bring them back to the body. The most disappointing thing is when somebody says, enough, I'm done with you. The most joyful part of that is when a brother comes back and we see him in the family, maybe even leading after a year or two, and he's growing in his knowledge of God and becoming mature. That, that is, that is joyful. The other side is sad and it hurts when a member of the body gets snarled in things that we can't rescue them from. And finally, no, not finally. We're only on number five. How am I doing anyway? I'm doing good. Finally, we oversee the material needs of the church. That's pretty mundane, you might think. And we think the same thing. Somebody has to set a budget so we can pay our pastors. Somebody has to set a budget so we can send missionaries overseas that we might make servants around the world. Somebody has to see to it that the water and electricity get turned on, which means we have to pay the bills. So while all that, in some places, it's actually shoved off to some other committee, we take that responsibility very seriously, and the administration of the church, I'm sorry to say, has probably uh, kept us from being shepherds that we ought to be or that we could be. So, more about that later. And finally, uh, the sixth priority is praying for the sick. Uh, Johnny, Johnny, when I was talking last, when we were talking last night, he said, no, no, no. You've got to take number six and put it up number one. That's, that's the most important thing people want to hear. Well, it is important. And we take it seriously, and I want you to know that. Praying for the sick, whether it's physically, spiritually, emotionally, we want to pray for those. We want to pray for you. We want to pray for the family. So that's how I see our responsibilities. So let's, let's just take a quick step back now and look at where we've been. So we said we were going to ask the question, what is the leadership structure we've chosen? And the answer is we've chosen to be led by an elder team. And the senior pastor is on that team. How do we appoint qualified spiritual leaders? We do that by the standing elders in coordination and cooperation with the body. And the foundational qualification of that is to be a man of the Great Commission. To love one another. and To love God. Hmm. We also ask what the role and responsibilities of elders? What are the? Whew, what is the role of an elder, and what are the responsibilities of an elder? And our roles, if you remember, it's an easy way to remember, is to manage and shepherd. As a family father manages his family, 
and as the shepherd tends the sheep, that's our responsibility. No one else has that responsibility. And it falls directly on us. And finally, that, that's our role and our responsibilities, as we said, are those priorities of making sure the Word is taught, living the Word, making sure there's doctrinal purity, to understand that we are responsible for the administration of the church, and we also uh, are responsible to pray for the church. So there's, there's only a couple of things left. So I've been talking about our responsibilities as elders and how that all plays out, how we're selected, what we do, how we make decisions. But uh, I can't stop before I say that you also have responsibilities as members of the family. So let me uh, just run through some of these responsibilities that we would like to see you step up and take. The first is... If there's a man in the church that desires to be an elder, we want to know who that man is. And we want to help him become an elder to lead the church. Or we want to help him and mentor him and disciple him until such time as he's ready to be an elder. You know some of those people. And we will miss somebody who will make a great elder if somebody doesn't say, you know... I got a community group leader. This guy is really hot. And I think he'd make a great elder. From there, we can start looking in to that person becoming an elder. So that's one thing. I urge you also to realize that the importance of selecting elders uh, can't be, you know, we can't talk enough about that importance because um, it has been said very, very well. As the elders are, so the church will be. That's just a fact. If you've got a bunch of lazy elders, we'll probably be a lazy church. It's just the way it is. So help us by filling out advisory polls. Meeting with guys that are standing to be an elder. Talking with them, encouraging them, or questioning them. How and what are they going to be and what are they going to do? So how many times have I been in that room back there waiting for somebody to come? Three. Three times I've sat there, and one time an elder stuck his head in and said, How's it going? That was it. So uh, that's not good. That's not good. So I encourage you to take that seriously. If you need prayer or know someone who needs prayer, James says... Call the elders. When I was, we met Thursday, and we were, I was talking to the elders, and I said, so what do you want me to tell the body on Sunday? Which, to the man, they said, tell them we pray for them. We pray for them every time we meet. We pray for the body. We pray for individual requests if we know what they are. So if you bring us your requests, if it's confidential, talk to one of us. If it's not, put it on the table. Call the church. If you know somebody that needs prayer, let us know. We'll pray. If you know somebody that needs a visit, let us know. We'll go. 
These men stand ready to do it. But we have to know who needs the prayer and who needs the visit. And if a family member needs encouragement, let us know. Same thing. So here it is. Your final line for you. Or maybe for me too. Hebrews 13, 17. Anybody know that? Somebody smiling, yeah. Obey your leaders. Submit to their authority. For they keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them. So their work will be a joy and not a burden. For that would be of no advantage to you. Oh, you're thinking, okay, here it comes. He's going to put the hammer down now. We're all going to line up and salute, stand at attention. We're going to get lorded over. We're supposed to obey. We're supposed to submit. That's not what this scripture means to the elders. You hear what that said? They must give an account. Some day, somewhere, in heaven for sure, we're going to have to give an account for how we led the body of Christ at Northwest Hills. Did we lord it over them? Or did they obey and commit and submit because we loved them enough that they could? They wanted to? They wanted to be a part of the family that's moving forward? Is that how we led? We're going to be held accountable. We're going to be called to account for what we did. And if we do it right, it's a joy. It's a joy for you. It's a joy for me. If we're moving, focused on one thing or two things or whatever things are that we're doing, if we are one family with one passion, reaching all people, man, we say that, but what does that mean? Elders are responsible. So, it's not a burden, it's a joy. And it's no advantage to you if there's no joy. If there's tensions. So, I'm going to away from the scripture for a minute. So, are you joyful? Are you confused? Are you frustrated by decisions that are being made? Are the changes crazy to you? Are you not being led? Do you not feel that we're mature as elders? What's keeping us from being a family? That's an important question. And if you are any of those things, I want to say to you, as an elder for the elders, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's our fault. Because we haven't led in such a manner as to give you joy and to build a family so that we can do the ministry of Jesus Christ and be a beacon in Corvallis and in our community around the world. That's our job. So if you are confused or whatever's going on that's keeping us from being a family, we need to know that and we need to move forward. And finally, let me say this. I'm back on the script. 
As your elders called by the Holy Spirit, we want you to know that we love this family. We love you with the love of the Lord. And we don't say that often enough. So we offer you these things. We offer to lead you and your family by the word of God toward Christ-like maturity. We offer to care for you in times of need. We offer to encourage you when trials visit you. We want to protect you from false doctrine and to pray consistently for you and to build you up until we all reach unity, until we all become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. That's my heart. That's the heart of the elders. We want to be family. Let's pray. Wow, Lord, that's pretty heavy. Thank you for this family. Thank you that you have brought this family together, this family called Northwest Hills. Father, the family, the church is not a building. Church is not a place. The church are your people wherever we go. Not on Sunday, but every day of the week. Help us to be those kinds of people who would make you known, who would grow in our Christ-likeness and move toward maturity, that we might be beacons, that we might be attractive. We thank you, Father. We give you praise in the name of Christ. Amen.